the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week with Easter, we discovered that seeing is not believing, but rather hearing is believing. And then once we believe, then we can truly see. Today we add one more thing to that progression from hearing to believing to seeing to rejoicing. But it all starts with fear in a locked room. We have the disciples hiding in fear of the Jews behind a locked door and a swirl of multiple emotions going on in their heads and in their minds. And from our text, we know that the fear of the Jews was the prominent fear. There had to be so many more emotions happening as well. Perhaps wonder mixed with doubt over the news that they had just heard from the Marys who had visited the empty tomb, or, or maybe some hopefulness over the testimony of Peter and John, who hearing the word from the Marys, ran to the tomb to see for themselves. But maybe some impatience that's taken all day for Jesus to show up. I mean, what in the world is Jesus doing? It's certainly not safe to be marching around downtown and in waiting in anxiety. And then, of course, you have Thomas, who misses it the first time and and finds out that that Jesus has risen and appeared to them, and, and maybe some doubts, maybe some fears. Maybe it's too good to be true. Just refusing to believe. 
unless he sees with his own eyes and can feel with his own hands the scars of the resurrected Jesus. There were fears in that locked room. And though our room this morning is not locked in here, I I know that there are fears in our hearts as well. What do we fear? Now, certainly we don't fear the police coming in and storming these doors and arresting all of us because this morning we believe in the resurrection. But there are other fears. Fears like cancer or loss, mental illness, addiction, crime, natural disasters, but maybe even some fears with God as well. Maybe there's a little bit of doubt in his existence or a doubt of the truth of the resurrection or or a doubt that Jesus' grace and forgiveness is somehow enough for your greatest, deepest, darkest sin. The disciples were hiding behind closed doors. The doors were, were locked and locked doors are, are nothing for Jesus. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away from the tomb for him to rise. He certainly doesn't need a door to be opened for him to appear. And Jesus appears to the ten and he says, Peace be with you. Peace. Shalom. Oftentimes when we think of the word peace, we think of the removal of stressors, the removal of fighting, whether that be conflict that's personal or social or international. But peace, this shalom kind of peace, when Jesus says, peace be with you, it's the absence of fear. It's a total confidence in God's love for you. Now the disciples, they had so many witnesses, voices that brought them peace in the resurrection and drove out fear and replaced it with faith, belief in the resurrection. But what about us? What voices do we have in our lives that we try to use to alleviate our fears? Well, maybe we tune into the evening news hoping that each day will maybe get a little bit better than the day before. (laughs) How's that working out? Or maybe we try to find some financial security by saving only to see interest rates change radically and inflation soar and food prices rise. Or maybe we do our best to get healthier and we find some kind of healthy absence of fear and peace. We have peace in our health, but I mean, if we're honest, once we get past our 20s, Things just kind of start to break down and they don't get much better. Well, maybe we alleviate our fears by surrounding ourselves with people and the right relationships and that will remove all fear except every single person we pull into our lives is sinful and broken and leaves wreckage and hurt as well. But we do have the word. We have the word of God and the news of the resurrection the direct telling of the death and life of Jesus Christ. And through that word, the Holy Spirit promises, promises to be working. Jesus says to you this morning, peace be with you. 
And because of Jesus, our relationship with God is at peace. With our sin removed, we're no longer enemies with God. We are no longer at war with him. We are at peace. And the presence of Jesus in our lives is peace. And hearing this word of God, hearing leads to believing. The disciples, we see that Jesus appearing this very first time isn't enough to alleviate their fear of the Jews for when they're with Thomas one week later as we are one week after the resurrection, they're still hiding behind that locked door. But Jesus gave them peace. He breathed on them and and peace was growing into belief. It's developing. It's maturing. And Thomas without seeing Jesus the first time, refused to believe. And Jesus shows up the second time that next week. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Remember last week with the Marys and the angel. We didn't hear Matthew explicitly say that the Marys looked and then believed. They heard the news of the angel and they believed and they went. Well, very much the same here. Thomas doesn't put his hands in Jesus' scars or his side. He hears Jesus. I can envision that when Jesus says, believe, this irresistible power overcomes and overwhelms Thomas and his eyes are open when he's able to say, you are my Lord and my God. Well, how about us? Our fears, they're persistent too. They don't easily just go away. It's a a process as we develop more and more of a deeper relationship with God and the Holy Spirit works more and more faith in our hearts that that faith dispels our fear. It's a process. It's dawning on us as it does for them. Remember the disciples who are still behind a locked door the week later. It's good to be patient with ourselves. To know that God is working to build our faith as we engage with him. Jesus tells Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now in that day, some of the believers did not see Jesus in person and yet had believed. And so now those words impact every generation after that and leads to us today. It's amazing to me that we don't need to see Jesus in order to believe. Just to simply hear his word. Hearing the witnesses of those who go before us. And the word itself is all that the Holy Spirit needs. And I love this connection between the word of God and the breath of Jesus. Right? Jesus, when he appears to the ten that first week, that first day, he breathed on them. He empowered them. Breath and the word of God are connected, right? It's, it's, a, it's this breath of Jesus that delivers the Holy Spirit and the words of Jesus that contain great power. Words are formed as breath travels through the vocal cords and are, are shaped by the mouth. With no breath, there is no word. The word of God is a living, breathing voice in our lives. If you want a deeper relationship with God, 
if you want to be impacted more by him, you need more of his living, breathing word. More time in scripture, more time in prayer, consistent remembrance of our baptism, a constant feeding at the feast of the Lord's table, time spent with others in Christian fellowship, sharing your own faith stories, being a witness to what God has done in your life. See, the Holy Spirit works through these means to build and strengthen your faith and drive you into a deeper relationship with God. And this believing leads to seeing. And we can see Jesus in the word, in sacraments, in fellowship with others. As we believe more and more, the power of God replaces fear with peace and purpose and power. Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without first seeing. And at first read, that almost sounds like we're somehow better than Thomas because without seeing Jesus, we believe and don't let pride creep in because the sense of this verse is more that those of us who have not seen and still believe are blessed every bit as much as Thomas was blessed. It's not a comparison, it's an equal. And seeing. Seeing leads to gladness is the word in our text today. Glad. That seems like a funny word to me. When I think of gladness, I, I think of as I, I love to cook for other people, and I love it when other people enjoy my cooking, and when other people enjoy my cooking, it makes my heart glad. Or when my family is all together, that makes my heart glad. I was gone for a few days this week for the SCLC uh, board of directors meeting up in Pennsylvania, and to come home and be surrounded by my family makes my heart glad. And so I have a hard time when, when the disciples uh, see Jesus and their hearts are glad. It seems kind of weak to me. And so I did a little bit of study. Uh, the uh, definition of glad in Webster's Dictionary says to experience pleasure, joy, or delight, be made happy, be pleased, satisfied, grateful, which is how I feel when people enjoy my food or when my family's together. But that's not what this word is really getting at. In the original language, it's more uh, of a mere gladness. And instead, it's, it's this experience, this engagement with the grace of God, with the power to save, and it causes you rejoicing. There was celebrating. They were rejoicing in their salvation through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Rejoicing in God's grace that saves. And what it meant for those disciples in that day, well, fear begins to melt away. Jesus breathed on them. And there's that power in the breath of God to empower their transformation, to go from disciple, which is a student, to apostle, which is one who is sent to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ resurrected. And what it means for us well, hearing in the midst of our fears, hearing leads to believing, which leads to seeing, which leads to rejoicing in our salvation. Now, we're not just redeemed so that we can feel glad and happy and secure that someday we get to go to heaven, which is sometimes what we are guilty of reducing Christianity to. But there's more to it. 
Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see, with peace then comes purpose, the purpose of the cross, the purpose of the proclamation of the resurrection. And so the disciples become apostles to carry out that mission, and that mission is now ours today. Now, the way of the cross is not a great attractional model. It's not something that's really exciting and easy to get people excited about. Come with the way of the cross. It's miserable. You'll love it. (laughs) Nearly all of the first apostles were killed for carrying it out. Sounds great. Sign me up. But the Great Commission can only be done because belief that results in seeing the truth of the gospel prompts us to do what we would never do because the world needs to know the gift that God is offering. This world needs saving. Jesus has already done the work. He just needs us to tell about it. When we had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, with peace God gives us purpose, and in that purpose, he gives us power. In the beginning, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, and Adam became a living being. It's this breath of God, his Holy Spirit, that gives us life, born again, made alive every time, every time the Holy Spirit comes to us through the means of grace. The breath of God has power to create and the power to restoratively recreate, and we are a part of it. The mission of the church here and now at St. Luke's, that we have the peace, purpose, and power to transform this community by awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. Hear these words in the middle of your fears. Hear them. Believe. See and rejoice. May the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.